0: Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most
1: of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host,
2: Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We've got a complete lineup for you. I have Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, and that's true sitting over in the corner. He's here with us too, so we're glad to have everybody a part of the program. A lot of things going on, and we're going to answer your questions and then literally talk about the perspectives of the economy and the market. So don't want to miss that. I want to remind you and if you listen to the program on a regular basis, or this is the first time you've ever joined us, you can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing that. So first, let's talk about, literally, some of the questions we've got. And I think this first question is, you can tell it's we're getting into the middle of, you know, latter part of January and the first month of the year, 2023 is flying by as normal. But if you've been working on your financial plan or your budgeting, you struggle with a couple of things. And we had somebody that literally said, "How to, in fact, it's Joan and Larry. They said, how do we deal with impulse buying? They've recognized, and I, and I think what they are saying is they were doing pretty good with their budget. But then they, all of a sudden, they things get out of hand quickly when they've bought something on an impulse basis. Now, there's some fundamentals there, folks. It's just discipline. You think it. And, of course, I can say discipline is so simple and make it sound like it's just something that everybody can do. But for some people, it's very difficult. And buying on an impulse can destroy a budget. It can really create all kinds of issues when you try to put together what your long-range goal is. So, literally, let's make sure that we answer the question, how do I manage the impulse purchase. Now, a lot of pressure to a lot of things to do when you're trying to keep up with everybody else in social media, but impulse buying is a real, real problem. So, Scott, let's try to answer. This is Larry and Joan, and I think it's a great question, and
3: I think it's a question that a lot of people have. How do I manage impulse buying? Boy, that's a tough question, Jim. You know, all wise financial decisions, I believe, begin with cash flow. So when you're when you're looking at, hey, what am I trying to accomplish over a long term? We all have limited financial resources. Some, some people's are larger than others, but there's a limit to how much money we're going to have flow through our hands. And, you know, as good stewards, I think our job is to make spending decisions that line up with what we value and what we're trying to accomplish. Now, one of the biggest things that can derail that is getting off budget or I mean, you know, impulse items that come along, you get kind of caught up in the moment, you see something, it makes you feel good to look at it, and you want to own it, and let's face it, there are professionals out there, you know, I'll use Madison Avenue, I'm sure they're not all located there now, but they're, they're every year and every day creating uh, commercials, advertisements, pop-ups on your social media to make you feel a little bit discontent with what you have you know your whatever you own is just not quite good enough and you'll feel much better if you get whatever they're offering now that's not a that's not a jab at them I appreciate the work they do and I and I think you know the corporations make the goods and services that we all like and enjoy but you have to you have to be careful not to let those day-to-day spending decisions those lifestyle decisions derail your long-term goals
2: I think you're exactly right I think the self-control item here Of those things. I think the concern that I have with a lot of things when we look at when social media is so involved today and everybody's looking at Facebook and all the other things that go on and everything looks so good. I mean, I never see anybody. Skiing in, you know, Colorado, and tell me it's a bad deal, right? You know? right. Or, or they're yeah. down. They just spent Christmas. All the lights, uh, you know, down at Disney World, and it was terrible. It was horrible.
3: Absolutely, and everybody says that. We're always seeing the highlight reels, right? Exactly. You know, everybody, it's, they're snapping that picture with everybody smiling, everybody's having fun. And you're thinking, wow, last time we went on vacation, we were all fighting. <laughs> right? Nobody. You
2: know, how are these people that? making it so good? Nobody's going so to post that. A, Steve, we talk about this. We talk about how do you manage this, and I think Scott's done a great job. I talk about it with my spouse. I make sure that Linda and I, if I've got an impulse, I make a list of those things That all of a sudden I get this need. You know, it's, it's kind of like the mindset of social pressure tells me I need it. I need more things. I've got this attitude that more is better. I mean, it's just part of our social makeup. It's part of the pressure that we're under. And so I say, okay, let me check with her to see what I'm thinking. So I have a list that I used to just, and I still do, write it down, whether it's, you know, a new suit, or I want a new rod and reel, or whatever that impulse <laughs> is to decide. Do You can tell I went from a suit to a really important item, a rod and reel. Okay. Moving okay. up the priority Moving list up. as this goes right. on. But the reality is you get caught up in that, and I mean everybody does, and the attitude that we have in our society today create some of that impulse so what is what you had an idea earlier as we were talking about this when when larry and joan gave us this question and i think it's a great thought process you have a kind of a time period
1: yeah I, i've got the, the two things that come to mind the first one is i've got a list on my phone it's called the 48 hour rule it's, it's just a reminders it's in the reminders app it's just a list and if i think it's something i want if it costs more than a hundred dollars it goes on that list and so, and, and just an arbitrary number, you could pick $50, 20 whatever, but it goes on that list, and then I have to sit there and let it sit on the list for at least 48 hours, and there are a lot of things that if you just give it a day or two, all of a sudden it's like, ah, I don't necessarily, you know, maybe that's not, and if you just let it all accumulate there, when it comes time to actually spend money and you look at the list it can help you prioritize some of that stuff. So that, that's 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 my little crutch you're that
3: good, I... You're good with 48 hours. See, I'm a 30-day person. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, for larger purchases, my wife and I use the 30-day 30 30 day Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, know, but I think the 100 to 48 yeah, that's rule, good that's good smart. That's yeah. Very yeah, smart.
2: And impulse buying is that it goes back to that old attitude of, I want this. And so putting it on there, waiting 48 hours, it made, I don't really
1: need this. I want
2: this, but I don't
1: need this. And and, and the other one that I would recommend, you know, this is incredibly practical, but delete the Amazon app from your phone. (laughs) Seriously. It's amazing. If you delete that from your phone and you can't make a quick purchase and you have to go to the, wait for it the computer oh yes, like at night yeah oh, if wow. you have to go log in and do that I, it'd be shocking how much less stuff you'd buy if you just made it a little more difficult to, yeah, to I, do it i
2: think that's a very very good point that making it a little more difficult waiting a period of time stopping and just giving that get some comparisons i mean You know, I'm going to buy this rod and reel, just using my example, and I can buy it here, and it's going to cost me $1,000, just using that as an example. But if I do a little comparing and shopping, I might get the exact same thing for $700, $800. That's the thought process, or at the same time, I may decide I don't want the reel. If, it, if it
3: takes long enough to do that price comparison, you know, <laughs> yes. maybe forty eight hours, yes. and at, you don't want it anymore.
2: You don't want it anymore. And I just think <laughs> that's important. I hope Larry and Joan understand the question. That I mean, that we understand that while we're answering their question, the reality is impulse buying affects everybody, whether we like it or not. The consumer is, you know, we're. The whole idea of consumerism is designed around us to make that, and there's nothing wrong with it. We just have to manage it. If you're looking at 2023 and managing your budget, that's critical. We hope we've given you some ideas. The idea of a 24-hour waiting time or 30-day waiting time, set that list, put it in your phone, take away the, the Amazon app so that you're not get that impulse to go buy. I love those ideas, and just make sure that you're communicating with each other before you all go out and spend money. That's the bottom line. Second question that we have, and I think this leads into some things that, Steve, you're going to talk about when it comes to literally understanding some of the thoughts around what are some of the perspectives, I guess you might say, on the economy and the market, because this leads right into it. And I want you to kind of give us your insight, because the question's a serious question, debt ceiling concerns. The media is talking about it. You got the Republicans on one side. You got to balance the budget. Get the, you got the Democrats. No, we got to do. And so it's creating. And, and believe it or not, I I think it's just that fodder for the media to just continue. To, and it hits our yeah. emotions. And I have told people when they when they talk about this, and I think this is what we want to make sure that Jeff understands. He asked the question, and that reality is it's going to be with us probably through the summer. We're going to continue to talk about it. Here's the problem that brought up this question. If we defaulted on our bonds, what would that do to our economy? So that's a big question. Take it from the start process. What you're being, you know, from where you feel comfortable.
1: Yeah. It, so on this question, you know, I'm a financial advisor. So the thing that I'm entrusted with, the, the the duty I have with my clients is to help them make good decisions about from a financial planning perspective, investment management, that kind of thing. So the first thing I would say to this is. If, if if the question revolves around, okay, is the debt ceiling thing going to impact my investments? The likelihood of that, I would say, is very small. Um, this is really a thing that's going to contribute most likely to just some volatility in the market. Everybody would be scared that we would really default on our debt. But in reality, we've had this scare <laughs> multiple times. I mean, Pretty much every single time we, we, this, this topic comes up, we have this scare. So it's most likely that this is a volatility thing, and that's it. It'll pass. But that, that's the market perspective. On the, the politics side, the, the question, does it really matter? What would the implications be? I mean, it would be a big deal, obviously, if we default on our debt. Um, but again, this comes up over and over and over again, and everyone knows – It'd be a terrible idea not to service the debt. And Drew and I were talking about this before the show. This is money we've already spent. Like we owe this money already. So I, I think it, the likelihood of us actually this becoming a major thing is, 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 is not high. Um, on that note, though, we were, we were talking about you can go to this website, the US.debtclock.org. And it's kind of scary because, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a little unnerving. It, it's this, it's this, uh, these, all these different numbers that are just constantly ratcheting up, and you can see that our, our debt at the moment is thirty one and a half trillion dollars. And just for perspective, if you were to count one second at a time to one trillion, it would take over thirty one thousand years to get to one trillion. And our debt is thirty one point five trillion. That is a huge, huge number. I mean, it's a big deal.
2: You know, when you, it's <laughs> hard you to get your head around. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it unbelievable. Is. Yeah, I mean, when you say put it that away, but. But give me an idea. I mean, I think I think the thought process that everybody's concerned about is if we've defaulted on our debt, Let's just use that answer. I mean, I've heard people say, Oh, you gotta go to the hills, you gotta get a bunker, you got to get your three year supply of food, you gotta get your guns. I mean, all that's that mindset that, that alarmist mentality, and that's that feeds the media a lot. But there is a way to take some control of this. Give me some examples of that. If if I just took and said, Okay, Saying that the Republicans say we're going to pay off the debt, or we're going to at least yeah. reduce it.
1: Yeah, one percent. Yeah, yeah. We 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 were uh, playing with numbers on this, and because that thirty-one and a half trillion. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of laughing about it because I don't know what else to do with it because it's just such a big it's number, so right? Big it's so big, that it's big. hard to get your head yeah. around it. Yeah, uh, but when you do the math on this, it's interesting. Inflation, we'll talk about this, but inflation's up and likely to be elevated for some period of time. And and just doing the math on this in instead of trying to balance the budget which i think for all practical purposes is basically not going to happen anytime soon but if we could just take progress you know just just take that as our goal normal if, gdp uh, growth yeah a little bit of gdp growth and if we would control spending get this by 1% so if we were to trim 1% not 20 or 30 but 1% off our budget over the next 10 years is that one percent per year, or just... one one? Yeah, one percent of our spending per year for, for the ten year. years. Okay, uh, it adds up to a trillion dollars. And if inflation runs at two and a half, three percent, something like that, for the next ten years during that same time, then thirty-one trillion dollars of debt in real terms, of adjusted for inflation, will feel like twenty-one trillion. So let me say it another way: very reasonable curtailing of our spending with a little bit of inflation, a little bit of economic growth for the next 10 years, and our debt could be a third lower than it is now. So it's not a pie in the sky that we can get this under control, but we just need to make progress. That's really the deal, is we, we just have to make some progress. And hopefully this Congress will get started on that. Well, We will see.
2: And making progress and getting Congress started on it, that's a—that's too... Um, is that an oxymoron? <laughs> it's not an easy task. <laughs> it's not an easy task. It's reality, though. And again, you would like to think that they could do that. Let me ask you this, uh, Steve. Let's talk about this. You mentioned a little bit about inflation and the whole idea, but, you know, the, the consumer and, and what's going on and Again, the topic for a lot of folks is inflation. Will we get it to two and a half, three percent 3%? What's your take on inflation for next year, for this year, 2023?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the moment, it's definitely the case that inflation's falling. I mean, all the numbers indicate inflation's falling. And there's a lot of nerdy math you can get into about inflation and this part of it and this part of it or whatever but i mean the reality is at one point so that the federal reserve is is tasked with trying to control inflation and maintain stable employment that's that's what they that's what they say so on the inflation front they pay attention they say they pay attention mostly to what's called the personal consumption expenditure which is sometimes just referred to as pce and it topped out at 7% the, the number we all hear is the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is what Social Security is tied to and every all of the government programs, and it topped out at 9%. Those two numbers, respectively, are down now to 5.5, basically, and 65 and So. Definitely, we're making progress. And there are areas of that inflation picture, for instance, housing prices. We see housing prices falling, rents falling, but the shelter portions of those indices have not fallen yet. So, there's a lot of momentum on inflation coming down. I do think it's going to come down to below 3%, get closer to 2% but I'm not necessarily going to stake my claim on it's going to happen this year. I think we can get, you know, under four, maybe in the low threes if we're lucky, but it's going to take a couple of years. I, you know, the, the exact timeline is anyone's anyone's guess, but but yeah. Uh,
2: recession, let's talk about that, yeah. guys. Uh, you know, I've heard a soft landing. I've heard, nope, we're going to end up with a real serious recession. I mean, consumers, you know, consumers are pushing back. I mean, They, you know, kind of made a statement with retail sales in December that, hey, we're not going to spend as much money. Your take on that, Scott?
3: Well, if you look at the traditional indicators, the leading economic index, you know, the yield curve, they're all kind of flashing red that, yes, we're going to head into a recessionary environment. Now, Nobody knows for sure. There's a lot of economists that I listen to that are pretty pretty sure that we're going to be able to pull off the soft landing based on, you know, employment's still very strong. We have still very low unemployment rate. Ticking up a little bit, but still very low by historical standards. Uh, so can they pull off the soft landing? We'll see. But I would also say recession is part of the normal business cycle and not something to be overly feared. I mean, we go through recessionary environments Um, you know, and as long as you just stay diversified, stay invested, we'll ride through this one like we do all of them. And that's what we just have to
2: look at and say, understand that this is not something to get panicky about, it's reality, but which you had to compare the two, recession versus inflation, we'll take recession in order to get the inflation under control. That's what we have to do. If you just tuned in, you talk, of course, we're listening to Talk Money, talking with Three very solid experts when it comes to just going through this idea of understanding. They're very knowledgeable. Drew Johnson's, and that's Drew, that's Scott, and, of course, that's uh, Steve over here. Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson. And we're just going through some, you're kind of, well, I can't even say it, perspectives. (laughs) Perspectives. Well, then, P's got me there of the economy and the market and the whole idea. But, you know, what, what's the behavior behind this? What are some things we need to understand about the market? Drew, let me ask you this in the time remaining. When they're talking about inflation and talk about recession, what's your take from a standpoint of seeing how it does the the market and how the, it affects the stock prices and things like that?
4: Uh, well, I mean, inflation is always going to uh, affect your stock prices because that goes into how you calculate future earnings and, Of course, stock prices are just a multiple of anticipated earnings, and so when inflation goes up, interest rates go up as well, and then that can have a a dampening effect on on stock prices. So when
2: you talk about that, what does the market really do? What's the market do with all the things they're talking about? I mean, you study the market all the time, and we just got about a minute for this, but what does the market do for us?
4: Well, it helps us to figure out where we think – Capital is ultimately flowing. That's what it's telling us, and where demand is going to be in the future in the economy. It's it's just it's an indication of where the sum total of the investing population thinks the future is heading.
2: I got a trivia question for you guys. I just want to ask you this. This is from the Guinness Book of World Records. Got it? We're gonna we're gonna get this question out. We're gonna give anybody who wants to. We're gonna expose do that. our we're ignorance. We're gonna take a break. <laughs> We're going to take a break, but you can't Google it during break, okay? Here's the deal. Here's the question. Who, what's the person's name who has lost more money than anyone else in history, according to the Guinness World Record? I'll talk about that when we come back. How's that sound? Does that make sense? You just tuned in. Of course, I'm talking with Scott Jordan, Drew Johnson, and Steve Anderson. We're going to cover perspectives of the economy, what to look for in the markets. We're going to talk about why does the market behave the way it does. Stay with us. I'm Jim Schumacher. This is Talk Money.
0: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.
1: Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.
0: Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation.
1: Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money, and we appreciate it. We thank you for that. If you got questions for us, you can send them to Jim, J-I-M, nine oh one six eight three oh ninety eight nine, or you can send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker dot com, and we will get your question on the air. All right, the guys, I ask you the question. <laughs> you, you won't believe this discussion here the break, guys. I mean, I had to have clarification. Now, all I'm saying is, who has lost the most money in history, according to Guinness Book of World Records? Now, that's that's the question.
3: Now, I yeah, uh, I, I think our clarification was legitimate. is this are inflation? Are we talking? Yeah,
2: I mean, is it percentage, percentage terms? Percentage
3: terms is
1: a right. viable question. I mean, you lose you lose 100 of a dollar. That's That's a big 100%. But
4: that doesn't mean it's
1: the most. Well, like last year, uh, you know, (laughs) Chairman Powell raised interest rates 1,800%. (laughs) That's (laughs) a real, I mean, really. Uh, Now, Paul Volcker in the Carter years raised it from 10 to 20%. That's 100% change, but 1,800 is a lot more. I've lost control. I don't think I ever had control. (laughs) Bottom
2: line is, all right, let's see. Uh, Who do I want to go with first? Let me think. One, two, three. Let's go with you, Scott. Who? Do you think, or do you even want to make a
3: guess? You know, I was wrong. I was gonna say Warren Buffett for some reason, just because his name always comes up, up. But um, I believe I'm wrong on that, and I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not, not
4: gonna, gonna change my answer now, just not because I'm on here. Change your answer air. now.
2: All right, let's see if Drew. What's your guy, Drew?
4: Well, I mean, I've actually got two guesses. You know, I have, only one. Uh, uh, well, then I was, I was, I was gonna say my first guess would have been Clarence Saunders. Whew, that's a good qu. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, probably in the top ten. You know who
2: Clarence Saunders is, right? Tell us who Clarence Saunders, uh, uh,
4: Clarence Saunders is. Clarence Saunders was the the owner of the of the Pink Palace uh, yeah, here, Piggly here, Wiggly here yeah. in yep. town, and he 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 started Piggly Wiggly, and yeah, he lost it all in the in the twenty nine right, crash. Crash. And mm-hmm. That's that's part of how we the part of how the Pink Palace I'll, I'll got I'll to be owned by the city in the first place, but.
3: Who? I was thinking of that Livermore guy too that lost a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. You know, he he shorted everything when the uh, yeah. when the Great Depression hit and made a bunch of money. Made and then, money then and turned around and lost, lost it. Lost it, Yeah,
2: that's a good question. That's good. I'm impressed. You guys are
1: very good. Then y'all are a lot, you a lot more memory than me. I, <laughs> well, I got none they, of that.
2: They're <laughs> just smarter, Steve. I mean, you know. Except, let's get your answer. So, and, so answer, you know, yes. my my
1: answer was Elon Musk. I, you know, I had to, recency bias is creeping in here, but that's what I came up with.
2: Well, you know what. I wish I had a drum roll or something. It's not Warren Buffett. It's not Clarence Sanders. But it is Elon Musk.
1: How about that? I didn't didn't even know they updated Guinness that often. That's great. That's good. That's good,
2: guys. Well, you know, here we are talking about losing money. And so reality is, and I guess, Drew, I want to ask you this from a standpoint of what in in your opinion, I mean, whether it's Elon Musk or Warren Buffett or who else, it doesn't make any difference. What influences the market? When we talk about all the ups and the downs, inflation, the debt ceiling. What really, at the end of the day, influences the market?
4: Right. And I, I was going to add, uh, you know, it, my my other guest would have been Tsar Nicholas II, by the way. <laughs> that
2: would have been a good one. Russian
4: what? Revolution. <laughs> wow. Well, I but I don't think he lost it. It was <laughs> taken away from him. Right. Well, you know, tomato, tomato. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know what? It, w- the way that the market works it, in any given moment, it's it's the sum total of individual individual buying and selling decisions that are made at that moment. But but you got to think about this because it's not just people on their phones trading, you know, on their smartphones. It's, it's, it's fund managers buying in their 401ks. It's also any limit orders that are good till cancel or any options that were bought months ago that are just now being exercised because a, a certain price target um, has been hit. And so you're not just talking about decisions that were made one second ago. You're talking about decisions that were made weeks, possibly months before uh, as far as not only what they want to buy and sell, but but at, at how much, and then then you've got various computerized trading programs that are looking at different momentum indicators or valuation indicators, and those get triggered as well by what's going on. And so there there's just no way to predict that. You'd have to you'd have to know too many things all at once. The best you can do is look back on it and have a reasonable guess as to why the market went the way it did at any given time?
2: So, so you're saying a reasonable guess, and it's very, very difficult to be accurate. You might be accurate occasionally. Obviously, people write books when they were accurate that the market was going to do this, and then the next time they're predicting it goes completely opposite. It's very, very difficult to. Do be
4: correct all the time Uh, it's really it's it's really impossible okay you'd you'd have to be omniscient to know that but
2: let me ask you this i mean i think scott you talk about this when we talk about fundamentals of investing and reality the the, one of the biggest concerns uh, what we see is that might inflate you know it, it influence the market is emotions yes and we talk about be careful with your emotions
3: yeah, we say emotions are the enemy of any good long-term investment strategy. Now, emotions are are a big part of what Drew was just describing. You know, people react. There's new pieces of information coming into the market scenario all the time. And, and sometimes people don't react to that information the way you think they would. So emotions are very hard to predict. I always say the reason you can't predict the market, it doesn't work like an exact science, is because people are involved and you can never predict people's behavior. There's a lot of study around that. There. There's a whole field called behavioral economics, but it's very hard to really put a lot of predictions around how people are going to act. So we always say, keep your emotions out of your investing. Now that's easy to say and hard to do. Uh, and that's where having a discipline process and a discipline strategy comes into play. And, and, and I believe working with, with a professional that can help you offset those emotional decisions.
1: Yeah, to, to, your, to your point, Scott, If you, anybody can go to this uh, website, J.P. Morgan, um, and you can download something called The Guide to the Markets. And one of their slides looks at consumer sentiment to mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And going back to 1971, if you were to just get into the market, Whenever consumer sentiment was the best, when everybody was like fired up and, yeah, this is great, and you get in, your average return would be 4.1%. Yep. On the contrary, if you were to just buy in at the same point when everybody was throwing in the towel, kind of like it feels like now, everybody's just, oh, no, the world's ending recession, your average return would have been 24.9%. So it's amazing how, it's amazing it. how sentiment gets in our, it just gets in us and it just drives our emotions. It's and crazy. that's exactly what
2: we're talking about. Of course, we we'll always say to everybody listening to us, you know, past performance is never indication of future performance, the reality, but it's what we look at, history. And, and I guess with that, Scott, both of you, Steve, and let me ask you this, this kind of brings me to another question with that, which you mentioned the word recession. Are we in a recession, headed to a recession I mean, what do you see right now on the market? Because I know that creates almost all the noise. you got two things that the media is hammering, recession, 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 debt ceiling, debt ceiling, debt ceiling. What do you think about recession?
1: Yeah, it, uh, the, for the question, are we in a recession? I, I think it would be very hard to argue that we're actually in one now. Uh, the the There's a group tasked with actually making the determination, and it's always in hindsight, as to whether we're, we've actually been in a recession. It's called the National Bureau of Economic Analysis. And there's six different areas they look at. And at the moment, at, well, as of the end of the year, uh, the end of last year, there was one of the six that was negative. Everything else was positive. So are we in one now? It'd be hard to argue that. Are we going into one? I'm more in the camp. I'm like 50-50 whether we're actually going to go into one. But at the moment, I think the more important question is not, are we going into a recession? It's really, if we're going to go into a recession, is it really going to be bad? Or is it going to be kind of a mild recession? And and we have this tendency to look back at 2008-2009 and think that that's what a recession is that was a bad recession that was the worst recession since the depression they called it the great recession yeah and so it's really easy to drag that from the past and say that's what the next one recessions all are different and and at the moment the data would suggest at least the data that i've seen would suggest if we have one it'd be pretty mild
2: and then again i think that's what we're looking at data is all we can do is look at the data and make some type of a I guess you could say get into a conversation, try to make the best decision. That goes back to what you said earlier, though, Steve. Don't let all the data dictate what you're doing. I mean, that's let the managers do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Drew, you talk about that all the time. Let the managers be the managers. If you've got if you're investing in a mutual fund or, or an ETF or something like that, it's in your 401k. Let the managers manage the dollars. You just diversify, and of course, we always say you know diversify, diversification, asset allocation. That's not a guarantee that you're not going to lose money. But the reality is, it's a good way of investing money, but let the managers be the managers.
4: Right. I mean, you can't, you, you don't want to try to market time with your own retirement investments. And, you know, we can piggybacking on, on kind of what Steve said a minute ago. I mean, you can either ignore your emotions and be invested when people are, are you know, running for the hills and panicking, or you can do the flip side. And that is to to say that, you know, what is going to perform well is equivalent to saying that, you know, what consumers are going to be demanding Three months from now, six months from now, you know, can any of you tell me what the most popular TV show is going to be in July of this year? Can anybody tell me? Well, oh, I
1: read something that it was oh. uh, NFL football. Well, oh. it's probably going to be Ted Lasso because that, yeah. that was a good one. Right. I, I've, I've been enjoying that one.
4: Right, <laughs> but 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 no nobody knows really. And it might even be it might even be a show that nobody's even heard of. That's right. right. At, at this point, you never. And that, that's just one example. But you would have to correctly anticipate what is going to be popular in the near future, and nobody can do that with any consistency. And when yeah. you're trying to market time or, or just or, or pick stocks on that basis, it's it's just a guess. You really don't know.
2: Well, I love this. I, I read something the other day, Dash for Trash. Y'all have heard of that, Dash for Trash?
1: I don't think I've heard of
4: that I haven't one. heard of that oh, one, no. It's
2: a, it was shocking to me. Dash for Trash, best performing stocks so far in 2022. The 2022, is how they've done so far, the best, up 1%. The worst, or trash, is up 16%.
1: The dash for trash. Oh, so these are twenty-two stocks so far this year. This year, oh, worst, okay. worst, yeah. the, the worst, worst ones, ones are, it did
2: last year. Now that's interesting. They're up sixteen percent. I mean, I thought that was interesting, and I thought that was kind of the mindset of how many people kind of dash for. I mean, that's just the way they yeah. worded it, and I thought it was a very way, a good way of putting it because that's that's what happens to us is we get the headlines going and we get to thinking about those things and what's going on. Back to what you were talking about, Scott, emotions. How oh how so easy it is to get caught up in that. Also, Drew, you mentioned fads and, and speculations. That is so important for us to understand when it comes to building our 401k portfolio or our retirement plans or just saving money. Fads and speculation.
4: Right. I mean that it, it's kind of a the fads and the speculation is kind of a it's kind of a two-sided phenomena because we as as financial advisors would say that your retirement investing and or what you're building up for your nest egg or saving for a home that's not really the place for you know speculating and just going on 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 pure guesses on something that's new or on something that's super aggressive and so we would kind of tend to shy away from from that part of the market from that standpoint but on the flip side Uh, It remains the case that speculation is actually a very important part of what actually makes the market work. Um, Without speculation, a lot of new and and beneficial uh, inventions and services would never come to be widespread if nobody put the money into letting those ideas uh, play out. And so some of that really needs to be left to. Uh, those that have the, 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 the amount of wealth where they can set aside a small portion of it to that or for you know, larger companies that, that invest in that. It's not really so much for the smaller investor, uh, but it is an important part of what actually makes uh, the market work and, and ultimately create jobs.
1: Uh, you know, uh, to that end, too, it's also important you start think, asking that question, fad and speculation. It's important to keep in mind what you're trying to accomplish with your money is often a lot different than what somebody else is trying to accomplish with their money. I mean, there are all these different investment time horizons, investment objectives. They're all meeting in the market, and so it's not that there's trash in the market versus great things in the market necessarily. It's it's what's right for a particular investor at a particular time, given their goal. And so, yeah, it's sometimes it's 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 a kind of a, a silly question to say, is that a garbage stock? Well, you know, it's. For the for the person that's trying to do a certain thing, probably not.
2: You know, I, I think that's what we've we've lost. Kind of that visual of the market with all the buyers and all the sellers. That's a visual that I have in my mind. Coming out of college, I got to spend a little time on. I had a brown shirt and I was a runner. And it was a great experience for me to be a runner on Wall Street. I mean, and watch what's going on. But the reality is we don't see that as much because it's all yeah. done on in the computer. And that's really, in order for a buy to be made, somebody has to be willing to be a seller. And in, that's kind of the way the market works. And so if I think it's a fad, somebody else may say, "It's nope, I don't need that anymore. And I think you're exactly right. So those are things that create all kinds of... Issues and problems and things like it. Steve, you've talked about this before, and I think you mentioned it earlier, and I think it's important. Kind of that behavioral bias, and uh, I want to do that in just a second. If you just tuned in, you're talking, of course, with three very smart people, Scott Jordan, Drew Johnson, Steve Anderson. We're talk money, and we're going through the process of helping you understand a couple of things, perspectives on the economy and what's the market doing and why does the market behave the way it does. And we're going to get into behavioral biases in just a second because reality, that's about how we behave when the market's doing what it's doing. And I won't make sure that Steve gives us a chance, but before we do that, we want to answer the question. And I want to remind you that if you've got a question for you, just simply send your questions to J-I-M, 901 683 That's J-I-M, type in the word, J-I-M, it gets to me, 901 683 Or you can send it to Money at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we will get your question. The question is, Scott, I want to go to you. The reality is he's wanting to buy a house. He thought he had, you know, but he's concerned now that because mortgage rates have gone up, should he wait or should he go ahead and step in and buy it, finance it, Thirty-year mortgage, whatever he said, and understand that I might go back and refinance it when the market rates come down. What would you recommend as an advisor? You guys all come, you know play in on this question. I think it's a great question because it think that's what we're seeing is he's thinking that the market's bringing house costs
3: down to where he can really afford something. That's a that's a tough question without knowing a little bit more about his situation. I, I would say, no. How bad do you need this house? We all need a place to live, right? You know what are what are what are what are the trade offs here? We're looking at buying versus renting, and what does that look like right now? But in general, you know, rates have come down slightly. There's a lot of people predicting that they'll come down a little more in the future. That's a very hard variable to predict. Interest rate movements, the direction, even much less the magnitude that they're going to move. Um, you know, if he needs a house, there is always that option to finance it now. And as rates go down in the future, you can refinance that. But, you know, it also comes down to affordability with rates being higher. You know, that's part of the variable that goes into what your house payment's going to be. And and now for the particular house I want, the payment may be a lot higher. Can he afford that? Does that fit it within his budget? So there's a lot of lot of unknowns there. But, I, you know, again, if you need the house, there is always that option to refinance in the future.
1: Yeah. and And, you know, for since the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, interest rates went to zero and mortgage rates weren't zero, but I mean, they are low. And so we're used to seeing things below 4% and we're used to only really considering any more fixed rate 30 year, 15 year mortgages. I mean, the nice thing about the mortgage industry is it's you know uh, they it's innovative they come up with other things so you know the the 7 year arm or the 5 year arm or doing instead of a, a a Fannie Mae a Freddie Mac loan maybe you do a bank loan and and, and um, there's even these loans now that I've heard of that are called these buy-in loans or buy-up loans where they'll you can you can they'll they'll like give you a lower rate for a year and then it kind of steps over a couple of years so it, it now is probably a, it, not that it's a bad time to buy a house but you probably just want to roll up your sleeves, look at a few options, get with somebody who can help you actually compare these options uh, because you just want to be careful. These are some different options versus a 30-year fixed mortgage. But uh, there are options out there to make it work. And so I, it's not don't run for the hills. I mean, if you need a house, like Scott said, yeah,
2: to, and, and take and a I look. Think the same thing is the obviously the housing market has declined. So mm-hmm. therefore, maybe you can afford to buy a house today that you couldn't maybe, even though interest rates have gone up. Because if you go back 18 months, I mean, you know, if you didn't, if the clock was ticking, if you went and looked at the house, you didn't have the chance to take a 24-hour <laughs> wait and think about it. No, you know? In 30 bought, days, <laughs> it had been sold 10 times. Oh, yeah.
1: I bought a house oh. in March and a day after I bought the house, I had to put a new roof on and two days later I had to do an HVAC and everybody said, well, are you an idiot? I said, no, the only way I could get the house is wave inspection. Right, <laughs> I mean, that's,
3: right. I, you know, that's the environment. That's it. yeah, exactly. So it's, what that's what right we're, it so it's just, just changing, getting better. And, and I want to tackle on to what Steve said. You know, we look at these rates now and we consider them high based on what we saw two years ago. But by historic standards, rates are not very high right now. I mean, we're, you know, I've seen five and a half on mortgages now, five and a half to six that's kind of historically where they have been if you take out the, the last decade coming out of the great financial crisis.
2: So we're saying probably, yes, let him go ahead and say buy a house now. If you can find what you're looking for, go ahead and finance it, and then consider what you might do if the rates come down. I think that's a good answer to a good question. Behavioral biases, Steve, what does that mean important in the life remaining time we've got?
1: Yeah, well, we are just talking about one. There's one uh, that, that's easy to have set in right now called anchoring bias. And so, with the mortgage rate, you you used to see in three, you see six, and you freak out. Well, you're anchoring to three, just like we we saw the market way up at the end of 2021, and we're like, oh, my account was X dollars, and right now I just got to get back to that number. That's anchoring. It's it's creating this artificial number out there that you got to get to, and um, it can drive your investment decisions and make you do things that are a little bit irrational because you start really trying to claw your, if I can just get back to this or whatever. And you got to go back to, what am I trying to accomplish? You, you and your financial advisor look at your plan and say, what do I need to accomplish in the next five years, 10 years, and build your investment program around that. And for almost all of us, if you're on a five or 10 year horizon, this is just a blip that we're experiencing right now, it's gonna pass. That's a great
2: point. To just the real re, the realization that this is what the market and true you actually said this is kind of what the market does the ups and the downs it moves and things. How would you summarize to our listing group that our listing audience? What would you tell them in your summary of what really to be sensitive about about the market?
4: Uh, I mean, I would just say be sensitive to knowing what your own goals are. Mm-hmm. And if you if you don't if you if you don't need the money that you've invested for ten years, what happens today and tomorrow and next week doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, people today may think that the market's worth X amount, but if you disagree, there's no reason for you to for you to sell it. So that's just literally sticking
2: to what you said is your plan
4: and but, and ignoring the noise. I mean, cause uh, as far as you're concerned, it really is just noise. If, you, if there's no reason for you to have to get out. And you don't plan to get out for another 10 years, just ignore it. Just ignore it. You talk about, Scott,
2: literally the whole idea behind suitable diversification and understanding rebalancing and allocation. How would you make sure that everybody understands that?
3: Well, I think it's being invested. You know, we call it asset allocation. That's a fancy word for how, you know, how much we're going to own in stocks, bonds, cash, other other allocation choices. And, and making sure that allocation fits with your risk profile because you're going to, we just talked about, it, you're going to go through volatility. How much of that volatility can you withstand and still stay invested for the long term? And that's an important decision.
2: You know, that's a, you say it's an important decision, but it's a decision that is sometimes the emotions create the problem. And I think that's what we've tried to cover. So I just thank you so much for listening to us today and, and sending us in the questions. And again, remind you, you can send them to J-I-M. Simply do that. And again, say J-I-M at 683 not at 6830 6830- 98.9. We've had great questions. Impulse buying, debt ceiling, and buying a home. Those were great questions. Always feel you can do that. I want to thank my guests Steve Anderson, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan. If you have questions for Steve, Drew, or Scott, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. You can find our show Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. If you have questions, don't remember. We'll tell you One more time, 901-683-0989. That's type in Jim, J-I-M. Next week, my guest, Bob Dahl from Crossmark Global Investments, 10 predictions of 2023. Scott Jordan will come back, and he'll also give some great insight into some basics, just making sure we stay with that. Daniel Orwin from the Better Business Bureau, Scam School. You don't want to miss that. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m., and again, Sunday at 9 a.m. I want to thank my producer, Maximilian. And again, guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner, Production and Marketing Assistant, Lauren Norsworthy, Compliance Officer, Tommy Armstrong, and Kimberly Holtus. Thank you so much for listening. We always appreciate you being a part of the program. We're here for you, and we're every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
0: Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
2: Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.